Today's sermon comes from Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. It was 1950, and Jim Elliott was talking with a missionary friend who spent some time in Ecuador. And during this conversation, Jim learned that there was an unreached people group of Ecuadorian Indians known as the Aucas. Now, there was a reason why the Aucas were an unreached people group. They were a violent and fierce tribe. They would kill anyone who got close to their area of the jungle, and largely this is because uh, oil companies were trying to get them off of their land to drill there. So they did not play well with others. Well, Jim is hearing the story. His interest is piqued, and he senses God's call to go to this unreached Aka people group. So what he did was he gathered a team, and they, with their wives and their children, they set out to reach the Aka's. And their plan was to take it easy, to chip away little by little at building rapport with this tribe. So what they would do was they would take a plane, a bush plane, and they would fly over the area where the Aukas lived, and they would shout phrases of peace in the language that the Aukas would understand. And after they did this, they would come and fly back over, and they would lower gifts in a basket to the Aukas. Little by little, peaceful contact was made. Things were going so well, in fact, that Jim and his team set up a camp and had dinner with the elders of the Alka tribe. They ate, they exchanged gifts, and they set up another dinner a few days later. And by all appearances, things were going really well. This group was reaching a group of people that have never been contacted with the gospel. Sadly, as they were setting up for their second dinner, as they were awaiting the elders of the tribe to come and eat with them, they were ambushed. And Jim and all the men who were there were murdered. They left behind their wives, they left behind their children, they left behind airplanes and supplies and supporters all over the world. And when we think about this, on the surface, it might appear that their mission failed. On the surface, it might seem like, man, they wasted all that time and all that energy and sacrificed their lives, and it begs this question. 
Why in the world do Christians sacrifice their lives like this? Think about it. If justification is true, if at the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you are credited with Christ's righteousness and you are made right with God forever, if at the moment you put your faith in Jesus and it is just as though you had never sinned, you have essentially hit the spiritual lottery. Why in the world sacrifice anything? Why sacrifice? That's an extremely fair question. And this question is at the heart of what Paul is teaching this morning in our text. And we're going to see why Christians can sacrifice anything because of two things. One, the old me is dead. And two, the new me is alive. The old me is dead, the new me is alive. In verse 19, we see our first point. We see that our uh, old self, the old me is dead. Here Paul says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. So if you remember from last week, there was this major rift taking place between Peter and Paul around the outworking of justification. It was either you are saved and you live out of that justification by faith alone in Jesus alone, or you're saved by faith alone in Jesus alone, plus following man-made rules, plus following as Peter was living like they were following these uh, kosher laws for Gentiles to be Christians, right? Peter was acting hypocritically there and Paul called him out on it. Now, this scene is what's fueling verses 17 and 18. Paul is showing in these two verses that faith in Jesus breaks down all walls. Faith in Jesus breaks down all barriers to anyone becoming a Christian, not race, not gender, not age, not food laws, not anything. And any attempt to build a man-made barrier to reaching Jesus outside of faith alone makes you the sinner, not Jesus. This is why Paul comes to verse 19 and he says that through the law, I died to the law. Paul is teaching that he has died to the only barrier that stood between him and holy God. And that was the entire Old Testament legal system. But what does that mean? What does that mean to die to this barrier that's separating a holy God and sinful humans? What does it mean to die to the law? Well, one of the functions of the law, specifically God's 10 commandments, is that it, it exposes sin. The 10 commandments, they're holy, they're perfect, they're beautiful, they reflect God's character, but the problem for sinners is that it constantly exposes us. God's law for sinners is like a sin exfoliator, all right? So as a sinner, the problem isn't with God's law. The problem is with us. And because of this, God's law stands over us 
And it's constantly revealing all of our sins. Every letter of God's law is constantly screaming out our guilt, not only in what we have done, but what we haven't done. And not only in just our actions, but those sinful thoughts that we've had. And not only just the sinful thoughts, but the thoughts that we haven't had. You see, God's law is hemming us in on every side. And that's really bad news for us, right? That leaves us condemned. That's bad news. But when you trust in Jesus and when you put your faith in him, the law no longer condemns you. The law no longer stands over you and towers over you and exposes your sin. How is that? How in the world could that ever happen? Well, it happened because Jesus was nailed to the cross as a substitute to pay for our sins before God. And at the moment you place your faith in Jesus, the punishment of the law that you deserve is transferred to Jesus and he transfers to you his life of perfection. This leaves you sinless. It leaves you spotless. It leaves you perfect before God. Now, this means that by faith alone, the law can never condemn you again. That's why we read in our confession that assurance of pardon, that there's no condemnation for those who trust in Christ Jesus. And it's because of Jesus' death, the law no longer exfoliates your sin. The law is powerless over you. There is no more barrier between you and God. And this is what Paul means when he says that he has died to the law. Booker T. Washington, born slave, turned college and seminary graduate, eventually to become the president of Tuskegee University. He was a liaison to several U.S. presidents. He paved the way for racial reconciliation in this country. This man, very famous, was walking to his office one day uh, at the university. And he's walking through this affluent white neighborhood and this white lady sees him walking to his office and she stops him and she says, hey, aren't you going to chop that wood and put it in the house? Are you serious right now? Booker takes off his dress coat, he rolls up his sleeves and guess what he did? He chopped the lady's wood. He stacked it nice and neat in her home. He cleaned up all the mess. And then he went on back to work. And after he left, one of the lady's maids came up to him and said, don't you know what you've just done? Don't you understand who Booker Washington is? And this lady hears and she's rightfully so mortified by what she had done. She found him at the university. She apologized profusely. And listen how Booker replies. He says, ma'am, it's fine. I actually enjoy doing manual labor from time to time. And here's the kicker. He said, it's also good to help a friend. 
Don't y'all know if that was me? Woo, woo. I would have defended my honor. I would have defended my reputation. When she says, hey, aren't you gonna stack that wood? I would have looked around and been like, who? Me? Excuse me, you need to do way less right now, lady, and pick up a book and read it, all right? Do you realize who you're talking to? I am famous. I just had brunch with the President of the United States. Really check yourself right now. Do you not also see that I'm wearing a suit? I have cufflinks on. Do I look like a person who's ready to chop some wood? Get that wood out of my face. It's exactly how I would have responded. Maybe not y'all, but definitely not Booker. How did he respond? With selflessness. Selflessness. He chose to love this sinful lady, to serve this sinful lady. Why? Why do that? He wasn't living to defend himself. He wasn't living to defend his image, his reputation, his standing, his ego, or his feelings. In Christ, he knew that the old me is dead. And he was living for Jesus' fame. And the same is true for you today. Today, if your faith rests in Jesus alone as the one who has given his life to make you right with God, then the old you is dead. The old you is dead. Practically, this means that you're dead to living for yourself. You're dead to living your life for self-accomplishment. You're dead to living your life to make something of yourself. You are dead to living a life to seek to prove others wrong. You're dead to live a life that seeks the praise of other people. You are dead to live a life of being so concerned about what other people think of you. You're dead to living your life worrying about what the world thinks of you. And as a Christian, when you try to live your life in that way, what you're doing is resurrecting walls all around you. And what you're doing is building for yourself a life in prison. And that's not what Christ came and died to give you. Christ came to die and to give you freedom. You see, selflessness doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. Oh, I'm just a sinner, I'm just the worst thing. Kind of like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. That's not you. Selflessness doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It means that you don't think of yourself at all. And this is true freedom. The old me is dead. And this can happen because through faith you've been united with Christ and his death. But it gets even better. Did Jesus stay dead? No. Jesus rose from the dead to new life. So at the moment you trust in Jesus, you've died to the law. You have died to every barrier separating you from being in a right relationship with God, but 
You've also been raised to new life. And the new you is alive. And this is our last point. Look with me in verse 20. Paul says here, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Scholars have pointed out that if you wanted to wrap up Christianity in one verse, it's right here in verse 20. It's in this verse where we see how a person is saved and also the mysterious way that hardened sinners, murderers like Paul, can be transformed into humble and loving, kind, selfless people, living lives of sacrifice. What Paul is teaching is that when a person is justified by Christ, he's not only counted or credited righteous as though he never sinned, but he's also teaching that Jesus comes by his spirit and lives in you. The old you is dead, and the new you receives a new heart, a new mind, a new, uh, new affections, new desires, and every day, slowly but surely, you are being changed more and more into Jesus' likeness through his spirit. Now, is this new? Is this something that Paul was just making up in the New Testament and through Paul's own scholarship, creating some form of new angle of Christianity? Nope. Jesus taught this very same thing in John 15, when he was teaching about the vine and the branches in that parable there, Jesus was teaching that by his spirit, he will come in and dwell in Christians and they will bear fruit. And at the moment you place your faith in Jesus, he comes and takes up resonance in your life and he will grow you slowly and surely and you'll start to walk, talk, act, think, and smell more like Jesus. And that's a phrase that we'll see in Galatians 5 in a few weeks called bearing fruit. Paul gives a list of this fruit. But I want you to think about that. Think about it. This was how Paul was transformed from a Christian murderer to a Christian missionary. A Christian murderer to a Christian missionary. This is miraculous. It is mysterious but it is a beautiful work that God does in the life of his children. And this is an absolute glorious truth for us. This is world changing. This is life altering. This is joy producing. That first sip of coffee in the morning where you've been studying all night and you've got 8 a.m. classes or when the kids have been up all night crying, that first sip of coffee you get and once it hits your lips, it's just so good. Just, I need more of that. That's that kind of joy-producing good news. The new you is alive in Christ, and he lives and dwells in you. Now, pushback is very appropriate here. It's very appropriate. If you're like me, you might say, well, there's so many times where I just don't feel 
like Jesus' spirit lives in me. You know, I struggle so much. It's like I want to do good, but I end up doing the things that I hate and I can't stand it. I feel like so often the old sinful me is ruling. It doesn't feel like I have this new me. Have you been there? It's painful, right? But be of good cheer if that's you. Be of good cheer if that's you. Guess who else struggled with this? The Apostle Paul himself. Read Romans 7. This is highlighting the great mystery of the Christian faith. The mystery of the Christian faith is this, that by faith alone, sinners are saved. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, growing us more and more into Christ's likeness, yet we still battle with sin. That's a great mystery. Now, what's different between Christians and non-Christians is that for the Christian, we know how bad we are and we can't stand it. We have had our sin exfoliated in varying degrees. That old us rears its head and we can't stand it. We long for a day when Christ returns and there's no more struggle. And this is why the church is a hospital for sinners and it's not a museum for saints. You see, the only other institution for bad people outside of prison is the church. And we are sinners who know and believe what Christ had to go through to redeem us. So for the Christian, the new me is the one who wants to live for Jesus's fame, who abandons their life of self and says, here I am, God, use me as you would like. Not just 20 years from now with my vocation, but every day, every diaper I change, every phone call I make, every time I meet somebody new, here I am, Jesus, use me as you would like. And this is what Paul means in verse 20, with that phrase, living by faith. Those who have Christ's spirit dwelling in them, they genuinely want to live a life after Jesus's interests. They genuinely want to emulate how Jesus lived, no matter how imperfectly. Because you're not just saved by grace, but you're changed by grace as well. We are never grace graduates, as it's often said. Now, this mystery is great. Right? This is a big mystery for how God works in us. But J.D. Greer uh, uses uh, an illustration about this mystery, Christ in us. Uh, he uses this illustration uh, with life like a balloon. So there's two ways to fill a balloon. One is through your own effort, by your own breath. And to get that balloon to go anywhere, what do you have to do? You gotta smack the balloon around, right? You gotta smack the balloon around. Well, this type of living is Jesus plus something, right? Jesus plus something. For Paul, the smack would have been following kosher laws. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but if you really wanna make progress in the Christian life, then boom, you gotta follow the kosher laws. 
right? But for the Christians, for us today, living like this looks like, yeah, you're saved by grace, but you gotta read the right books, smack. You gotta pray the right prayers, smack. You gotta listen to the right music, smack. You gotta, you gotta do the right thing, eat at the right places, say the right thing, smack, smack, smack. Guess what happens when you get smacked a whole lot? You're either gonna smack somebody back or you're gonna give up or some combination of both, right? But what's the other way to make a balloon move? You fill it with helium. When you fill it with helium, then the balloon floats on its own and there's no smack required to making it go. The point is Jesus's spirit in us is the helium of the Christian life. Jesus's spirit in us is the helium of the Christian life. Now, your sin, the world, and Satan will smack you around from time to time. That's just going to happen. But we know, but we know by God's grace that we will finish the race. We know that those who he started a good work in will see it to completion. You will finish the race. You might have a bloody nose. You might have a couple of black eyes. You might look like a piece of pottery that's been beaten for a hundred years when you get to Jesus, but you'll be able to look back and see, I made it and it wasn't because it was something I did. You'll look back and see that Jesus was carrying you the whole time. So what does this new Christian heart, this new life, what does it what is this new you, Christ living in you? What does this look like for you today? What does this new you mean? Well, it means you're not your, you're not your past. You're not your mugshot. You're not your disease. You're not your failure. You're not your damaged goods. You are not too far gone. It also means that you're not your successes. You're not your bank account. You're not your Instagram followers. You're not your various degrees and plaques and trophies that are on the wall. It means that the old you has been crucified with Christ and you are raised to new life. And your new life is being constantly molded by Jesus himself. It means that you were purchased with a price by the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. This means that you're a blood-bought child of God, a child of the King of Kings. You are an heir of heaven. God has chosen to indwell you by his Spirit, and he has told us he will carry us on wings of eagles, even though when you feel like you're not making much progress, if your faith is in Christ, you are redeemed, you are loved, you are united to Christ. And church, this is true Christianity. This is true Christianity. And Paul says in verse 21 that if this isn't true Christianity, that if we have to add something to the merits of Christ, 
to be close to God, then Jesus died for no purpose, and this is not Christianity at all. Well, after Jim Elliott and his team were murdered, it's fair to assume that evil had won, that the Alcas would never hear about Jesus again. Well, after their deaths, the wives of all these men with their children stayed amongst that camp of Indians, and they refused to give up. By God's grace, not only did these women forgive, and forgiveness is painful, right? Not only did they forgive these men that killed their husbands, but they loved them. And they pursued this tribe, and many of the Akas became Christians. And just like Paul, God turned these Christian murderers into Christian missionaries. And years later, as those infant babies grew up, of the men that were murdered by these Alka Indians, the tribesmen who were saved ended up leading those children to Christ. That's only something God can do. That is only something God can do, and God's been doing this for thousands of years. He did it with Paul, he did it with Alkas, and he does it with you and I. So I asked earlier, what in the world causes Christians to sacrifice, to sacrifice everything? What causes a person to put the needs of others ahead of their own? What causes us to love the unlovable? What causes Christians to forgive those who harm us? What causes Christians to sacrifice so much time and money and resources and to live their lives for Jesus? What causes Christians to risk their lives for strangers that they've never met It's because Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that we can wear the crown of life. It's because Jesus never calls us to do anything he hasn't already done and conquered. You see, we can live a life of faith. We can live a life of sacrifice that put Jesus's fame ahead of our own because Nothing has happened to us or will happen to us that hasn't already passed through nail-pierced hands. And those same hands are building his church and carrying every single one of us today. Let's pray. Father, your grace and your love for sinners is mind-boggling. It is miraculous, it is mysterious, and I can't believe that we're the beneficiaries of your grace. Let that sink deep into our bones this morning. Let that change the way we look at our neighbors, our coworkers, our spouse, our kids, our roommates, the ninth grade bullies that we see in the classroom. Let us change the way we, let that change the way we view the world. 
Would you help us to realize how much you've done to save us? Help us also to see that we are a work in progress and that we can't out your blood. As far as the curse is found, there your blood is. Let that good news change us from the inside out. Let it compel us to live lives of obedience. Let it compel us to live lives of transparency that says, you know what, I have failed. I need your forgiveness again and again and again. Help us to see how much we've been forgiven and how much you have loved us and let that then help us to forgive much and love much, not for our own self-accomplishments, but for your grace and your fame and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.